Hi guys, welcome to Tic Tac Talk, episode 8. I'm Candace. And I'm Rob. And in this episode, we'll be discussing wearables, the Apple Watch in particular, as well as the Microsoft Build event. Yeah, to all those non-Apple Watch fans, uh, you Android Wear fans and you Pebble fans, uh, we apologize. Candace had a Pebble, so we'll touch on it briefly, but we can't really go into the same depth with those other products. Um, but if somebody would like to send us one, we'd love to give you our thoughts. Or even just send us your own thoughts. So if you are a person that wears three different wearables, maybe one on each wrist and then one on the ankle, an ankle. Uh, please send us an email at tictactalkshow at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I think a smart ankle band is actually a very good idea, but let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, so probably just a quick overview maybe of our history with wearables. I know my history, I guess, is a little bit more extensive than yours. Mine's pretty brief. I bought an Apple Watch in February, and I've been using it since. <laughs> February it. of this year, right? Yes, of this year, just of a couple months year. ago. Uh, mine is a little bit longer, a little bit more extensive. I've, I'm not sure which I owned for. I guess I owned a Jawbone Up first. Uh, I was interested in tracking my steps and also tracking my sleep. And this is before the iPhone got much better motion tracking and things like that, too. I realized that I'm a very good sleeper, so I really don't need that much uh, analytics on my own sleep. I would wear it when I went to bed, and I would plug it in because it didn't have Bluetooth. You'd have to plug it directly into the audio jack of your phone, <laughs> and it just told me that I would get a great night's sleep because I'm a very deep sleeper. Hmm. Interesting. I've actually been using mine for more health and analytics mm -hmm. um, recently, and I know we're going to touch on the uh, downsides of the watch, but it's really served a better purpose for me as um, just kind of a pulse on my life and my physique. So I get my heart rate and my steps off from the watch. I plug that into health. I get my sleep data from Pillow, and I get my uh, in food input from LifeSum. I put those all together, and then the different apps will show me data graphed up against each other. So I can really see like what are good days and what are bad days. And you'd be surprised like the weeks when I have big tests or a lot of work. You too, can see substantial my, changes yep, in my food goes down and my sleep goes down, and my steps also go down. So like, you can see how my health and the stress kind of go together, which um, has given my watch a really great purpose as a fitness tracker. Has it given you tangible things to change? Like, has it motivated you in a way to like walk more or like drink more water, things like that too? Or do you just like studying the data to see the patterns? It's still pretty preliminary. I'm finishing up my first week now, to be fair. Um, I've received a lot of feedback on my diet though. And uh, while I thought previously I was pretty healthy, I guess I'm not. I can't seem to get past a C rating for my meals for the day. Uh, I think most of that contributes to I'm eating too many carbohydrates. So tell me about balance. the app because I never you said LifeSum was the app that you're using for food mm -hmm. tracking. How does it really work? And yeah, so this again, like I feel like all this health and fitness stuff, which we could do a whole episode on this, but it's very much a pseudoscience. Like my heart rate, I really doubt goes to 40 beats per minute, but my watch tells me it does sometimes. That's definitely false. It tells me that I exercise at least like 60 minutes a day, and I feel like 30 minutes of it is when I first drink my first cup of coffee and my heart rate goes a lot quicker, or I'm like watching a really fast YouTube video, it definitely thinks I'm exercising. Yeah, there's definitely like, you know, definitely take it all with a grain of salt, but um, you put in meals, you search them, click on it and it adds it. Uh, and it is kind of hard because you're kind of guessing, sometimes you have to do ingredient by ingredient, but you put them in and it gives you some information. I'm not paying for it, but if you were paying, it'd give you a full nutrition out, okay. uh, loadout. You also track water in the application and it plugs in with the watch to put exercise in there too. So like if you exercise a lot, it'll adjust the amount of calories you need based on what it thinks you burned. So that's kind of cool. So do you, because I know you run a lot, do you put in your running information too when you exercise and stuff? I mean, that's a whole other gripe about the watch and it's um, subpar running tracking, but mm -hmm. the information goes in there. I try to keep the watch on as much as possible, if only to track my health and fitness information. So that is a strength, definitely. 
Um, that's probably one of the things I use the watch for the most. Mm-hmm. Other than that, just check notifications, messaging. Um, as a watch, that was the primary reason I bought it actually because I didn't really have a nice watch. I wear it to interviews and stuff like that now. Yeah. Um, but how about you, Candice? What do you use your watch for primarily? It's a funny story, right? Because like, I was going to say, after I had the jawbone, I guess my next wearable was the Pebble. And so do you remember when Pebble was a really big Kickstarter? It was like the Kickstarter success story. Yeah. I didn't initially fund it because I thought it was going to be vaporware. I thought it was just never going to come. Because at that point, it seemed so advanced, right? You could This third-party watch could connect to both Android and iOS and give you notifications and kind of interact with your phone in a new way that we haven't really had. And so I didn't. But then at a Best Buy randomly, I saw that they had two red Pebbles. It was a time where it was super hard to find them. I bought both of them. I sold one. And I wore that for a really long time. And I think the core strength of that was the battery life on the Pebble. I'd use the e-ink or the e-paper screen like we see on the Kindle. And once again, it only did notifications and some basic weather updating. And to be quite honest, it's not that different from what I do on my Apple Watch right now. I guess the biggest difference is it's with my iPhone. It's more integrated and it has the color screen. So aside from that, it has, I feel like, richer information, but then it also requires me to charge it every night. That's a good point. And um, I've even noticed out of Android Wear, wear, wear wearers that I know, um, one in particular, a professor who is a uh, prominent listener of the show, I know purchased a Moto 360, and I don't think he wore it for much over a month. Um, I could be wrong on that number, but I know he switched to a traditional watch now. And I think smartwatches as a whole have this uh, existential crisis mm-hmm. where they're a watch, there's notifications on the watch, and is that it or can they be more? Um, and, you know, there's not really a good use case where they're more outside of maybe a fitness tracker, but it, even then. It's the way that the, com- the tech companies and their technology companies trying to position this as a fashion icon, right? Or, like, they strap a mini computer to your wrist and they see how much they can cram into the watch. I personally think it would have been better if they took a more additive model where it was the most basic functionality and they added very, very simple but very very reliable functionality and the prime example i think about is the withings watches so withings is a manufacturer of wearables and stuff like that too and they recently released this really minimal watch that was under a hundred dollars it was a standard like two hands on a watch and there was a smaller circle where normally there would be like more important information if you're like a sailor instead it would track your, your steps so every single day it would reset and just kind of give you a progress and that has gotten great reviews because it was positioned as a really basic watch with a little bit additional functionality. I think the public's expectations of the Apple Watch is so skewed because we were expecting so much. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of overhyping uh, by corporations. You know, the Apple Watch was everything. It was a phone. It's all these applications. It's a platform. It's social. And the same could be said to a large extent for Android Wear. They've gone you know, toe-to-toe in terms of features. And I think they both represent pretty much the same thing at this point. And, you know, at the end of the day, I use it for notifications. Sometimes mm-hmm. even that gets a little much. I use it for the time, weather, not too much else. And, you know, there's like a nice simplicity. I don't think I would go back to a dumb watch. I think there's a lot of advantages to having something with a digital display like this where you can customize it, yeah. which is cool. Um, I wish there was more customizability on the Apple Watch, but Android Wear has a large variety. Um, but, yeah, there's a, definitely an existential crisis. I, th- I feel one day... And maybe this will take um, some Moore's Law kind of leap forward. They'll be smart enough. Um, I could see an Apple Watch or something like it taking the role of almost an Amazon Echo. You know, that would yeah. be great. Having an Amazon Echo strapped to your wrist where you could always just ask it queries and do stuff like that. I could yeah. see the utility there. But right now, I think um, the traditional paradigm of apps 
isn't going to work. And we'll get into this when we discuss Microsoft Build, but yeah. this is like a communicator for different bots and stuff like that yeah. to provide key hooks with services using your voice. I think that's powerful. And I think the idea of having something strapped to your body, always there, easily accessible. Like, have you tried doing um, a Hey Siri thing, query, I guess, with a phone in your pocket? I've used the, the watch Hey Siri query a couple times when I'm brewing coffee and stuff in the mornings. Sometimes I don't bring my phone with me. I just use the watch. And that sometimes it's a hit or miss. I feel it's like super slow. I feel like the best experience with the command because I don't want to keep triggering it if people have it near if they have it <laughs> play near their phone. Um, it's just with the iPhone, and most of the time I end up just pushing the home button anyway and holding it and not doing the command. I do hate Siri with the phone, as we mentioned before, but yeah, I agree with you. It's there's potential, definitely potential. Um, you know, and I like the watch too. Kind of as I was saying before, like there are a lot of good ideas. I think calls on the watch, like when I'm driving. It can be convenient. So, yeah, the one big thing was for a little bit, I was driving a car that didn't have like integrated media control. So even it was plugged in through an aux cable and it's a pain to, and it's also dangerous to pick up your phone and go through the song. Um, instead, sometimes I would use Siri to change the song or quickly swipe, uh, swipe up as one of my very few glances and quickly change the music that way. Mm. We should talk about glances um, or I guess, you know, they're analog Google Now cards. I think those are great. I think if they stripped out all the apps and just had glances, that would be a much more cohesive, much more powerful pro- product because glances work. Yeah, I think the interface with all those circles, while it's clever on a conceptual level, I just don't think it's usable. Like, have you, how many times have you like accurately pinpointed the app that you wanted to open in that grid system? Yeah, it's very odd. Like, you almost have to zoom in to get to the right app. It's, it's very, uh, it's pretty, but it's a little. It's unusable, really. It's it's weird and a conceptual. It feels like something like a student, like a design student, mocked up and showed in class, and it's like really great. But it's on a usability level, especially if you have any fingers that are bigger even than mine, and I have very small hands. I have a hard time hitting apps. So, like you're saying before, if it was just glances and they were very selective of what was allowed into glances, that'd be just as effective. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's pros and cons to it, like. I, on the flip side, Google now has, I think, a scrolling list for apps too. Yeah, and it's like. It's, it's a tough balance. I almost feel apps shouldn't be on a smartwatch platform because the idea of an app itself, it's it's too much to be used on a watch. Yeah. I don't think it's, you know, whether Apple's implementation is better than Google's or Google's better than Apple, I think fundamentally an idea where, kind of like Pebble's timeline, um, where it's just quick, glanceable information, services can plug in and provide their own, that's at this point in time where I see the most powerful. Yeah, I think I, we're on the same page where they're kind of just forcing the same model where they've had so much success with a smartphone and like moving it to the iPad and cramming as much functionality where in reality they should be really thinking about core functionality. How does pe- how do people interact with a screen of this size and with such limited um, interaction? And I feel like Google, Apple, even a lot of the other wearables haven't fully answered that question. I think it will come with more robust um, functionality that you might see in like Microsoft bots, um, even Alexa, things like Alexa, just more reliable Siri too, which is what I would really hope in generation two or watch OS three. Mm. So what do you find, um, you know, what is the most, I know I talked about the fitness tracking. What yeah. do you use the most in your watch? I think the biggest thing is notifications. So don't get me wrong. So I sound kind of negative about the Apple Watch, but I've owned it pretty much since day one. I've actually owned it. I had it when I got it when I was in Hong Kong. So I actually owned it even before the Americans got it uh, oh. at their door. So that was pretty cool when it launched that way. Um, I've always been a watch wearer since I was a kid. Maybe I'll try to find a picture of me as a, like a second grader wearing a watch. <laughs> always really into wearing a watch. Always really into knowing what time it was. Um, and I've always worn big watches. So actually, before we get further down into our Apple Watch discussion, 
um, just really quickly since we, it's pretty easy to explain, but we both own the same model Apple Watch. We both own the 42 millimeter sport watch. Stainless steel. Um, Rob is no, wearing the uh, black band and I'm wearing a dark blue band. Yes, aluminum, not stainless steel. Yeah. I, mean, I misspoke. Aluminum. Or aluminum. 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 <laughs> um, but so I like wearing a watch. I've always wanted something that had a little bit more functionality. So I think the biggest thing is in a social situation where you're talking to someone and you're having an engaging conversation, um, if you get a notification, I think it's a little bit rude to take out your phone and look. It just shows that you're not engaged with the person. I think looking at the watch is already socially acceptable to do at any point during a conversation. That's a big component where I'm talking to my roommate or my friend or even my mom. I can just glance really quickly to see if I need to address the issue. Mm, and then I see about the watch. You know, with the phone, you have to unlock it, right? The watch will just show you what it is when you pull it up to your face. So you can very quickly just glance, see, and put it away. The phone, there is actually a layer of interaction which uh, makes the watch better in those situations. I agree. And that's one thing the watch does really well, generally. Um, you can kind of get, if you're getting inundated with notifications, yeah. sometimes it's bad. But overall, I think it's pretty good, especially when it's an iMessage. Yeah, and I think another big part was it made it easier for me to switch to a larger phone since I'm using a 6S Plus um, to make it easier to read data. Sometimes it is a pain to take out my phone out of my pocket or sometimes in my backpack or in my purse. Having the watch has really made that transition to almost, what, a phablet? easier because I have a secondary device that I can just use. That's a good point. I think it makes a lot more sense for somebody like you than somebody like me with a six, where it's so, uh, especially for my hands, it's pretty usable in one hand. Hmm. So another thing that I think Apple gets really right with the watch, and that the Android manufacturers make as well, but um, because there's so many, I think the effect's been uh, seen to a lesser extent, uh, but also also Pebble too, I guess, is the, the idea of the switchable bands, which isn't new to watches, Yeah. but some of the ways they're making it so you can switch the bands in and out is really cool, I think. Yeah. And then Pebble has some of their smart bands now. I know they came out with one where it has a heart heart rate sensor. And they're adding the functionality to use it for Apple Pay, which is another thing we haven't really discussed with the watch. I've never used it. Yeah, I'm um, I'm surprised how much Apple has invested in the bands, right? Like every major announcement, there's been new series and stuff. And I've seen a lot of excitement. And even my mom, who owns an Apple Watch, switches out her band quite often. Really? It's, it's really become a, a fashion statement, and it's also a conversation starter for her because a lot of people probably at her age don't know what it is and are curious. So it is interesting and fun. Um, I don't often switch out my bands. I usually wear one for a long duration, and then I move to the next one. I haven't seen you um, switch out your bands yet either, right? You've been well, on the original. I only really I, – I got one with the white band, but um, the black really fits my uh... – for lack of better, my style better, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would definitely, I've been interested by some of those nylon bands to try it out. I'm going to have to go look in the store in person to get an opinion, but I love the idea of bands. Like, if this was a, even just a dead, simple analog watch with removable bands that switch this easily, yeah. I think that alone would be a winner. And I think adding all these additional functionalities is really making it, um, you know, there are a lot of really special qualities to the watch. Mm -hmm. I think iteration two will be um, a much better product. And this is a really great, like, first example of what the technology can do, I mm -hmm. think. Not so much as a finished product, per se, but yeah. it's, it's fascinating. It's frustrating. But it's also, like, really genius at times, too. Yeah. It's very comfortable. And I'm surprised how much still there's public interest. I still get, not stopped daily, but weekly about interest about the watch, what it does, how I like it. And even people who I don't expect to be first-generation Apple purchasers interested in buying the watch, which I find really interesting. That's true. They've done a really good job of exciting people. And, you know, not to, like, describe them. I know whenever I show somebody the watch and the stuff it can do, 
I always show them the camera trick where you can control the camera. Yeah, the that's probably... People are always wowed. Because it's pretty much like a selfie stick that you can have on yeah. your wrist, right? Or like you set it on a ledge. I used that a couple times when I was traveling around Japan. We didn't bring a selfie stick because we had some self-respect. <laughs> but uh, we would put it on a ledge and we would program it and pause it. And it got, got some really good photos. That's pretty useful. And to be fair, the first-party Apple apps on the watch are pretty solid. Um, yeah, you said speaking. earlier like messages was really good. It's so nice to respond. You can dictate um, and it can either convert it as audio or as text. And sending those uh, those little emoji things is kind of fun and whimsical. Yeah. And when we um, send drawings back and forth, you're my only friend with a watch, but it works and it's pretty cool. It's definitely unique. It's a much different interaction than what you've ever had with technology, right? Because it feels like it's literally tapping you, which I it's a weird concept. It is really weird when you send your heartbeat. It's like <laughs> almost too intimate for a message. It's very odd. I really don't know what to make of it. It throws you off guard because it's actual touch, right? They call it force touch or what do they call it again the um the tapping and everything yeah, the too. haptic engine the haptic engine and stuff it's it's almost like uncomfortable <laughs> like not not the actual um, vibration but like some of the interactions i really it's only comfortable that i don't know how to respond it's very new to me yeah and i think it's one of those first pieces of technology or technology interactions because it is so personal it's sitting on your body at all times mm-hmm. you might get that feedback with a phone vibrating but the apples even changed the end like the motors in the phone to make it less vibrating so it's like less obtrusive the mm-hmm. tab is meant to almost disrupt your train of thought and let you know that someone's interacting with you yes it's really interesting and i think i almost wish that had caught on more than it does i feel like in a lot of ways it's almost a forgotten feature and I wonder what's going to happen with the next generation. Yeah, like, it's interesting to see what they do. I think the one big thing I wish they would is, you know how you're allowed to make custom vibrating sequences for contacts and things like that, too? I wish there was more unique tapping patterns when you get notifications. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, it's always that same double tap. And it could be Snapchat, it could be Facebook Messenger, it could be all these things. The only distinct one I know is when I get an iMessage, and it's like that one distinct tap. Mm-hmm. I wish apps would utilize that, or if they were allowed to. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. That'd be pretty useful too. I do find too when I do navigation with the watch, which I've tried a couple times, especially now that they updated their maps app. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's okay. I can't really tell right from the left, you know, or I can, but I'm afraid I'll miss it. I guess every now and then I'll be like, which one was that? Exactly. I always forget. I always like tell myself like, it's, if it's three taps really quickly, then I make a right. If it's the left, it's but like I'm also a very three. visual person. We've always discussed this. I would I like having a map in front of me with the arrow guiding is interesting and i've heard a couple of situations where people were walking around usually in new york city or san francisco it wasn't the best time at night and it wasn't the safest neighborhood so instead of taking out your you know 700 smartphone just having it tap you when you get to the block that you need to turn might be a really good use case Hmm. that is a really good use case actually for that feature and i think it's that is also another really compelling feature that could be going somewhere big um like i said a lot of potential in the watch um how do you feel about other wearables? Um, Just in general as a category. So I don't understand the notion of people wanting Android Wear on iOS. There was that announcement and Google's building it out and there's functionality in that way. At this point, you know how Apple locks down iOS and kind of handicaps any competitor. If Apple is making their first party Howard Wear for wearables, I would buy that one. That I don't really get. I guess I meant, um, you know, let's think outside of watches. Like mm-hmm. um, some company came out with a smart sports bra. There are smart sneakers now. I think there's even smart earrings. I don't know what they tra- track exactly. But wearables have gone and are starting to go a lot of different places. 
Um, would you consider getting a smart jacket or any other smart wearables, smart glasses? I think the next thing that I would ever consider getting, I, I guess it's still considered technology, but those like here earbuds or the braggy mm. dash. And so those are kind of a bridge between the two because they're both standard headphones, like technology wise, but they're also provide additional information like your heart rate and things like that too. Um, and they help you filter out noises that you might not like. Aside from that, like, I need to find a use or a way to derive value out of these products. The watch is something that I like buying because I like wearing a watch. A jacket, I can't really justify paying a premium at this point, like an Apple price jacket, unless it could do something more than, yeah. you know, like what functionality do you think you could extract from these wearables? That's fair. And I think, you know, that's part of the problem with the watch too. It's a good watch. Is it a good smartwatch? I don't know. It doesn't really do enough more than a watch to justify it if I had a good watch that I want already. Um, now, in my case, and maybe your case too, you know, this was a good looking watch. It fit the mm-hmm. a watch too and had some nice extra features. And I think we're seeing this often the corporations are selling these as fashion products, um, the watch wearable specifically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I almost think that's like, if they, if they didn't need to, they wouldn't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they don't sell the Apple, their, the iPhone as a fashion product or a cell phone. Uh, well, maybe to a certain point, but you know what I mean? That's not the key point. The key point is that what it can do for you. And I think for a lot of people that trumps the fashion sense because that market is um, you know, somewhat limited, I think, compared to the utility of a phone. Yeah. Um, it's really great. I think most people would buy a phone if it was ugly just because at this point they're so useful. So I think that's something that they're really facing. Um, for other wearables though, I would be interested to try definitely the earbuds. Um, I would purchase some smart athletic clothes, but yeah, I agree. Like day-to-day clothes, I would be hesitant. Yeah, like I just like I like being able to track my own personal data, like you've been doing with your health and stuff like that too. But I still haven't seen anything that has really changed my behavior or changed habits. Further, I just can't foresee anything. I'm not saying I'm against it. I would love to see what comes out in the future, um, but I just don't see anything really at this point. Maybe in 2016, 2017, but maybe farther down the line. True, and also for also for the behavior tracking, there's a certain amount of effort you have to put in that I'm not really um, ecstatic about. <laughs> you know, because you're still manually putting stuff and like for your meals and stuff. And it's awkward, you know? You're in the middle of a meal or at the end, you're like, oh, I wanna write this down now so I don't forget. Mm-hmm. So you stop what you're doing, you stop the conversations and you're out of it putting in stuff for your food. Um, you know, I, do I have to track my food? No, I'm mostly just doing it for fun to try to test it out. Yeah. But it's another step. Um, and even with the watch, you know, it'll be dinging, buzzing, and I find it's much harder to ignore. While it is quicker to check, Yeah. it's constantly, especially when in a group conversation, and the thing is just buzzing on my wrist. And if you're talking to someone, at, at some point it keeps buzzing to the fact where it gets distracting, where people notice. Yeah. I really don't like that. Oh yeah, with Facebook messages, it's always the same tapping, and like six people start the conversation, it's just tapping all the time. Yeah, they really need to fix that. I wish, if it was just one tap, then you could check it and see, okay, there were 20 messages sent to me, that'd be fine. But the way it handles it right now is really uh, yeah. a bit much. I think one big thing I would love to see in the future generation of the watch, and I think it's been spoken about on other podcasts like Control Wall Delete, is having the watch act as a privacy token. Mm-hmm. And so it's, instead of using, even using your fingerprint or the traditional password, your watch could automatically like know that you're wearing it and you're the right person. And so when you log into your iOS device or on your Mac, it would communicate in a secure manner to allow you to just unlock things without having to put in the password. Mm. That kind of token. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised nobody's built something like that yet where this is the token. If this is unlocked, then everything else is unlocked. That'd be really powerful. Um, And I could see why, I guess, if 
if Apple builds it, it's going to trump whatever they build because it'll build into the system. But imagine it integrated with HomeKit too. So you did a HomeKit lock. Each member of your family had an Apple Watch. So when it when you approach the door, the door would automatically unlock. It would know that you know on certain nights that you automatically turn on your Apple TV and put on Netflix. That kind of passive but smart automation is what I want. I don't have I don't want to have to program all these IFTTT commands and aggressively program my devices to be smart. I want passive smart. And I think we get a taste of that with like Google Now and them sending us cards and them knowing that I love Tim Duncan, I always Google search him, so to send me Spurs updates. But that's a type of technology that I want in the future. Mm. That's a good point. And you know, the phone's not always on you. If you leave your phone in a room and leave, would your smart lights know you're not there anymore? The watch always is. And I agree. I think you put a really good point where because it's so personal, it provides a nice level of access for other systems. Um, and I guess we're still waiting to see how that'll be played out in the future, but I think that's where the most power in the watch lies. You know, we've almost gone too far into what a watch can do. Mm-hmm. We should be looking at what it can um, provide for other systems. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I, I think you're dead on the money there. Cool. Yeah. So um, there was one other pretty big thing this week, uh, Microsoft Build. Mm-hmm. I know we're a little early, but do you want to get into that? There's some pretty juicy stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll kind of let you take more of a lead because I was more of a backseat observer. Um, I actually didn't know that there was a keynote going on until you actually told me about it. And you're actually, you previously owned a PC and a Windows phone. So what were your thoughts? Yeah, so um, for anyone in Candace's boat, Microsoft Build is one of Microsoft's biggest conferences of the year. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Immortalizing the podcast. Um, so it's where they have their developer conference. It's uh, anonymous or analogous to WWDC or Google's I.O., um, same kind of deal. They do do another hardware event, I know, um, at another point in the year. But this one, they really show off their software. Um, they showed off a lot of big stuff with Windows, their anniversary update. That's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to have a bigger effect on the Xbox than anything else, I think. They're going to mm-hmm. be finally bringing the Windows universal apps to the Xbox. So does that mean like all the like the Twitter, the Netflix, if they're not already on Xbox, you can just automatically install them without developers redoing their code base? Is yeah, the apps should work just as is. They'll just be available on the Xbox. So that's going to be really interesting. How does that translate, though? Like, a lot of these apps are built with touchscreen laptops and, like, a, a clicker or, like, a mouse pointer and things like that, too. Do you think that experience is going to translate well when you're using a joystick or the voice commands on the Xbox? I'd imagine they have to do some sort of optimization. I can't I can't picture any other way. Right? That's like, like whenever they say, oh, it's totally portable or even Microsoft's vision of their Surface, sometimes I just see GIFs of people unable to close the app of their Surface because it's not optimized for real touch input. I'm imagining like someone like yelling at the Xbox, like, close, like, close the recycle bin, like yelling something loudly. Yeah, I that'll be really interesting. I know they're not bringing like the recycling bin. It's yeah. just going to be the new... Um, what do they call them now? Modern apps? These are the ones that are built with universal code base for all the... <laughs> yeah, the ones that are built on that universal platform that works on phones, PCs, tablets, uh, etc. So I think it'll be good. Um, I'm curious to see as an Xbox user. I think some of those, you know, the interactions they'll bring, it'll really change the Xbox as a platform, especially now you can stream it to your PC too. Um, so you could be like streaming a PC to your PC, which is not new, but, um, you know, just the Xbox as a platform and... Maybe, you know, the Xbox one day will be your new desktop PC. 
you have a laptop and then you have your desktop for all the horsepower. So you could run um, maybe a CAD program on your desktop, on your Xbox 360 or Xbox One rather, yeah. and <laughs> stream it and be rendering objects much more powerfully on the Xbox. That's pretty powerful, especially for somebody like a college student. I always wondered that, like, there could be, like, a lot of people are going mobile-centric, right, and just keeping a desktop at home. But, like, why couldn't their desktop just be that media center PC? And so I have always had this vision of, like, one day I'll own just an iPad and I'll remote into a central Mac. But why couldn't it be something like an Xbox where it has all this power? It could be my media server for, like, Plex and stuff like that, too, since it could be always on if they optimized. Yeah, I mean, the Xbox basically is always on right now with the way it's set up. So that'll be really interesting. I think there's, you know... Xbox, I think, is one of Microsoft's most promising platforms right now. Um, of course, Windows, you know, ubiquitous across yeah. industry. But Xbox um, is their controlled, most controlled platform. And I think it's done really good things, especially now that Phil Schiller's in charge. Um, they also put a lot of pen support. Phil Schiller? Phil Schiller is the Xbox head. Um, did I have that wrong? Phil, Phil Schaefer? His name's Phil, I swear. All right, I'll look this up really quick. But Isn't Phil Schiller the Apple guy? He's Phil something, I swear. (laughs) Xbox head. No, Phil Schiller works for Apple. Phil Schiller is the... Phil Spencer, excuse me. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. We'll just keep going. Well, that is a bad mistake. I'm sorry, Phil Spencer, but... Sorry, Phil Spencer is the Xbox head who has a very close name to Phil Schiller. (laughs) But yeah, Phil Schiller was in charge of their game development, and he took over Xbox. Phil Spencer. And he's done a much better job... um, I'm actually a big Phil Spencer fan, so this is pretty bad, but he's done a really good job with the platform and kind of um, done a good job communicating the vision that they've mm-hmm. had for the platform. So that's really good. Um, also, I was just touching on the pen stuff. Yeah, so, so I was so I watched the quick, uh, the 15-minute cut of the keynote. I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, but I think especially as a new iPad Pro owner and a new I, uh, Apple Pencil owner, it was really impressed to see what Microsoft was doing um, with their pen. So instead of just making it, we always call it right, like a dumb sausage, a dumb stylus into a device, um, thinking about how people actually use paper on a daily basis and trying to translate that into a more intelligent experience. So they had almost like a column on the sidebar of the desktop and had the most popular things that you could do with a pen normally. So you could do write on sticky notes, which I know some of our listeners are very big fans of, <laughs> um, and do things like quick notes, translate, uh, at one point, they showed a demo where you're like looking at a map, and you would draw the path that you would take going hiking up, and it would translate into a path. So you could write lunch here, and it would know contextually to put a break in that hike point. So a lot of the stuff we don't see with Apple, I feel like they're still very early in their stylus development. So it's so cool to see what Microsoft is doing on making this literally a smart pen in your life. Yeah, I think, you know, um, you try to find line there, but with the smart pen, I agree. I think they're making a lot... They're adding a lot more to the operating system to make it optimized for pens. Um, that said, though, my sister has a Surface Pro 3, and it is more than just, you know, a dumb stylus. Um, it uses the Ntrig technology, I think, that they bought, and it's it's pretty good. Um, it doesn't have the same, uh, what do you call it, tilt detection, I guess is the right word, yeah. that the Apple Pencil has, but it has the pressure sensitivity with the screen, and the tracking is pretty solid, so yeah. um, credit where credit's due. But, yeah, I think they're making it much more pen-centric. And that's a great response to the iPad Pro and the challenges brought in the domain of the pen. Um, I think it's really cool. Like, pens 
and computing are much more realistic than they used to be yeah. and much more responsive. So that's really exciting on both fronts. Have you used your sister's, um, her Surface Pen and everything too? Have you had like long-time experience where were you able to really demo it? I've had long-term experience, but I know she uses it a lot. She's a dance major. So she'll um, kind of like draw out some of the steps she's going to take so that it wouldn't be mm-hmm. quite so easy in a you know, traditional drawing system. Yeah. Just for like a quick sketch. So I know she gets a lot of use out of that and also marking up PDFs. Um, I can't compare it to the Apple Pencil. I was going to ask you, like, which one do you which one do you prefer if you've had both? If you had to choose one of the experiences. Um, I mean, we are talking about tech that is a couple years apart here. I, from my brief experience with both, I'd say the Apple Pencil, but I don't oh, think really? I've really had enough experience to tell. I'm curious. Like, I wish there was some way to translate whatever Microsoft was building with their pen support into Mac OS X just so I could use it for a day or so to see how it felt on the screen and how it interacted with the operating system. Um, but the one thing I really wish that we could get on the pencil is the eraser on the back. That's true. The eraser on the back of the Microsoft Pencil is huge. It's just such a big behavior change because ever since we were kids, we were always taught, like, when you make a mistake, you flip it around and you, like, quickly erase. It's mm-hmm. not natural to tap something else to get the eraser, right? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's pros and cons to that, too. Like, I kind of feel like I'm scratching the screen sometimes because <laughs> it's not soft. It's it's plastic, you know? Because there must be a sensor inside to read the pressure yeah. of how you're erasing, and, right? And I'm not scratching the screen, but that plastic on the glass does feel a little weird. But that said, I totally agree. It's much more natural and where I'd expect. And, you know, there's pros and cons to each. I think it's very clear that Microsoft's pen is very business-centric, whereas Apple's is much more designed to art. Like, you don't need to tilt a pen. Yeah, like a, like a paintbrush doesn't have a, an eraser on the end. So mm-hmm. I think that's what they're trying to justify it with. Also, that ingenious charging port. Where else could you put it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even know. Does their pencil... I, know I don't think their newest one even charges. I think it's almost like a... It's either a battery, I think, the newest one. And you swap it out. It's a pretty good battery. I think it's like a year or two. But. And also, you have the ability to change out the nibs on it, too. So if you're mm-hmm. doing different types of like art or calligraphy, you can buy different textures and stuff. Apple now sells replaceable nibs, but they're all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So they expect you this one to take care of all your different your yeah. needs. So it's interesting. Pros and cons to each. Um, and then, you know, so the pen stuff's good. Uh, there were a couple other updates. The sticky notes are getting update. Uh, the no- notification center look new. Uh, the big thing, the elephant mm-hmm. in the room, we should probably get to before you want to wrap up, Linux on Windows, basically Linux on Windows for lack of yeah. a better term. That was huge. Yeah. We, uh, so we've already talked a couple times with other people who are currently Mac users, uh, but really choose OS X at this point because they need the command prompt, right? That's the main reason why they're on the platform. And so this is a big move by Microsoft to regain those devote, um, those devote users, right? Because most people who are really dying for this command line are very technical, have a specific use, and are pretty loyal to a brand. And mm-hmm. so I think they really have a great chance of winning back some people. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Um, if you compare my, or Apple and Microsoft, um, the two biggest desktop players right now, Apple has almost built this very consumer-centric product. And um, not that OS X is new, but they're, I think they're gaining a lot more traction in building, especially as the developer-centric thing. You can develop for their consumer platform much more easily on it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that Microsoft, who's traditionally been this very enterprise-heavy consumer, um, you know, they're working on building their consumer experience with the Surface, with these modern apps. Yeah. And then now they're almost um, fighting back at the enterprise at what Apple's going for. And I think for enterprise, this is big. Like, you know, because enterprise, they don't care if you want a Mac or a PC. 
they give you a PC because that's yeah. what the contract is. But if you can have the same uh, Linux development environment, that's really big. You're going to be less vocal and wanting something different because what you're given is fulfilling your needs, right? Is that kind oh, of yeah, the idea? I think developers in big companies will be very happy with this. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, who knows how well it works. I'm assuming pretty good. It looked like it was pretty seamless, but yeah. it's always, you know, hands-on is different. Um, but I think this is a really smart move to keep that business market uh, that said, I think it's really interesting how we're seeing this division, you know, in the way features are sent to devices. And it's like these focus on a new type of apps. Nobody's using Win32 or um, traditional you yeah. know, Linux programs. So that's super interesting, just in and of itself, that they're even putting these features as a headline. You know, no longer is it the desktop widgets, it's the Linux command prompt. That's a headline feature. Yeah, that's funny. So for you, because you're the more regular developer at this point, since you are a computer science major, does this tempt you on going back to use Windows full-time? So um, a lot of people have said, I've heard, you know, they're like, oh, this changes everything. I've heard people say they want to go back to Windows and try it for this. I don't know. Um, do I think Windows will be just as good? Probably. I think it'll be definitely adequate. I think in time it'll be as good or better because of that huge developer community and this is just going to invigorate them. Mm -hmm. um, that said, you know, to anybody who says this makes Windows a player again, I agree. This, to anyone who says it makes them better, um, if, if we're talking strictly for development and not like having a device that's like, you know, an all-in-one, which is kind of different in my mind. Um, as, for development only, you know, there's a ton, there's tons of Linux distributions and whatever one floats your boat is the one you should go with. Mm -hmm. um, I, maybe this is because this is new to me, but I like the design in OS X a little bit better than the Windows 10 design. Yeah. I think it looks a little dated even still. Um, it does look pretty good, but I like this. I, this is my preference. So that's kind of where I've stuck. Um, I think also until Microsoft gains a stronger hold in the consumer, businesses are always going to need um, Macs because, you know, to develop for iOS. I know they have Xamarin now, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's quite as seamless an experience, especially, um, you know, you have to train somebody in C Sharp some organizations might have that readily available and it might be easier for them, but I, I can't imagine, I've tried using Xamarin once and it just wasn't, um, you know, I'm not a big mobile developer, but I just didn't find it was as nice as Xcode, which you might expect, no one's yeah. built for it. Um, the features usually hit it a little bit later. So I don't know, I, I think they're each gonna serve their purpose. I think generally though this is a really good move and it makes me much more um, likely to have a Windows PC. I think I was telling you I'm working on building that desktop. So yeah. this definitely validates like my desire to do so. And um, I'm very interested to see what Windows does. So it makes it, I think, um, development much more platform agnostic, which is a good thing. But um, I think if you're an existing Mac person, I don't see the reason to switch. Cause yeah, I I personally don't have a like I don't have a desire really to switch. I wouldn't mind owning a, desk, a, a Windows computer as a side computer or using it for almost like a home server. Um, but there's other things of Mac of Mac OS X. And since there's now been such long developer support and a lot of them using it, there's a lot of developer tools that I like. And uh, partly too, there's a lot of designing tools that are not traditional Adobe Suite like Pixelmator and Sketch, which I really love. And there's no real PC variant of it. And so that's what's keeping me loyal as well. There's a lot of other reasons for me personally. You guys probably already know because I'm so entrenched in the ecosystem, but it's interesting. I'm excited to see how it develops. and if we see a different ratio of Macs versus PCs in our comp site classes in the future. Yeah, you know, I think it's great for PC users, like I said, but, um, you know, the, the big defining features outside of this terminal now are the design of each, 
which are kind of your own preference. Um, the PCs have those other form factors, the touchscreens, the uh, convertibles and stuff like that, the pens. Yeah. Um, but again, those aren't really developer centric. So, you know, doesn't appeal to me as much as, you know, it's like a preliminary, or like a side device. Um, having had a touch PC before, I actually found it kind of annoying because <laughs> I'd show somebody my code and they'd go to point something and they'd move and my they'd code around, something, right? which was kind of frustrating. Um, so I didn't like that so much as a work machine, but that's just my preference. I know a lot of people that really like the touch screens. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's a developer community, the existing software, and what people are existing, you know, the comfort levels. So um, yeah, I think it's just great for whatever you're already comfortable with. Yeah. But uh, you know, it doesn't tempt me to not try Windows. So maybe we'll I'm see. I'm even it. tempted to try Windows. Yeah. I want to try it and make a much more informed decision. So that's just my initial impression. So we'll come back to this. Ask us in the future. Yeah, I definitely want to try it out. It looks really cool. Okay. Um, anything else you want to touch on? Or are we good? Nope. Okay, well, I just like to thank everybody for listening. We're almost, or by the time you're hearing this, we'll probably be at 600 listeners. So thank you very much for your support. We really appreciate it. We are on a plethora of podcasting platforms at this point. So we're very likely on your favorite one. If we're not, please drop us an email. Uh, rate us on iTunes if, you, if that's your platform of choice. We really appreciate it and would love the feedback. You can also email us at ticktacktalkshow at gmail.com or visit us online at ticktacktalkshow.com. We're also on Facebook. Twitter, Periscope, Instagram, not Snapchat, maybe soon. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Bye, guys. Bye.